Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Merry Christmas. We're looking back at some of our important conversations this past year. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Today is a good day to consider the Savior. This is the day the Lord has made. I mean, that's true on every day, right? This is the day the Lord has made. That is true every single day. Today's a good day to consider the Savior. What does it look like to rejoice and be glad in the fact that this is the day the Lord has made? Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him right now, you believe in him, and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me ask you, my friend, are you filled today with inexpressible and glorious joy? That's what Peter says here. You, You haven't seen him, I get that, but you love him. You don't see him right now. It might be hard to believe in him, but he is worthy and he is good. And he has filled us with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Are you struggling today? Are you having a hard time today? I want you to bring it before the manger throne of Jesus or bring it to the foot of the cross or bring it, Peter would say, bring it to the empty tomb. Bring it to the empty tomb. God has, in his mercy, given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That same infant king in that manger who we are celebrating during this Christmas tide, is the man who hung on the cross and died for our sins and rose in glory that we might be saved. It is in the book of Nehemiah where it says, This day is holy to the Lord. Don't grieve, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. I want to encourage you today to allow the joy of the Lord to be your strength. Now, the context in Nehemiah where these words are spoken was the public reading of the Word of God by Ezra. He read from dawn until noon, and everyone listened. These were the people who had returned from exile. Well, not the same people, but generations of descendants of the people who had been taken into exile. Some of them were hearing the reading of the word of God for the very first time, so they were cut to the heart. But Nehemiah assures them, This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. This is a time of celebration. And so this is a time of celebration. It may not feel like it. Like Christmas tide may not be working out as you had hoped. 
It may not be living up to all the worldly expectations of Christmas. But the gift of God in Jesus Christ is available to you. He offers you Jesus, not just a baby in a manger. He offers you Jesus, the the living hope, the one who is the resurrection and the life, Jesus the Christ. Have you received the gift of God in Jesus Christ this Christmas? If not, would you consider it today? Would you consider asking God to make Jesus real to you? Apply the grace of the cross to you? Forgive you in the name of Jesus? Raise you up to newness of life and fill you with an inexpressible and glorious joy? We're revisiting a series of conversations we had this year with Jeff Christofferson about the challenges we face in the Western church. Um, And today we're going to talk about the failure of the church to live into the reality of the priesthood of all believers. We can't pawn off our responsibility for the Great Commission on just a few well-trained clergy. So let's listen again to one of our conversations with Jeff. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Jeff Christofferson is back. He is, among other things, the author of Once You See, Seven Temptations of the Western Church. It is a novel approach to the conversation. It is a novel. We have one listener who just texted in, Jeff, that they only have 20, uh, 24 pages left in the book. So, wow. I mean, you know, I, 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 could not have cl- I could not have closed it with 24 pages left. I'm just going ahead and telling you that. Uh, and so um, thank you again for joining us. It's my honor. Thanks so much, Carmen. It's great to be with you again. So we have um, we we're going to take this part piece by piece and part by part. And we have um, we've talked about uh, the 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 book in its you know comprehensive scope, and then we've been moving into one by one these seven temptations of the Western Church. So we've talked about um, philosophicalism, which I always have to practice saying. Today's is a little bit easier, professionalism. And when we think about professionalism, I think we can think about it in um, in all kinds of areas of life. We've professionalized many things. Um, and I, I like the way that you frame this. Like, do I think about um, ministry as something that is done by professionals, by a gifted pastoral team or a church leadership team, that it's something that's done by those people that we pay to do those things, or... Do I think about it from a kingdom perspective? So can you give us the kingdom corrective on this temptation to professionalize the ministry? Yeah, well, great, Carmen. The um, thing, this this one really gets at the heart of the negative trajectory that the Western church is in. And, um, and this is not the thinking that's going on in the global church. And it's not the thinking that is going that has, that has been a part of our history, actually. But um, but it it has been the thinking of our our more recent history since the sort of the dawn of the church growth movement, and the kingdom corrective is, is the fact that the gospel is actually every disciple's calling. It's it's not something just for a chosen few, and uh, and because of of this, I mean, a church that is is seeking to actually be on. Uh, a different trajectory will seek to multiply Jesus' disciple by developing and dis- deploying the body of Christ anywhere in infinitely reproducible co-vocational mission force. 
And uh, so we see a church that is looking differently is seeing um, their pastors as their primary assignment is equippers as and multipliers of Jesus' disciple making insurgency. It's not it's not the ones that entertain the saints and um, or even just teach the saints. And so it's a it's an entirely different uh trajectory and is an entirely different motivation of what pastors do. So, uh, like any good new idea, <clears throat> it threatens somebody's view of themselves and what they're doing. So my guess is that there are some who have read Once You See um, or started to examine this particular aspect or component of it, and they've become defensive. On either I, side, I, on on the <laughs> sort of, I'm a pastor, this is my job, um, and I don't want all of those, you know, sheep trying to be shepherds. Um, I, you know, I want them to be sheep, I need them to be sheep, they have a place, I have a place. Um, I feel like this is a conversation that the church has had periodically at particular points in history. I'm thinking about the Reformation, and I'm thinking about the priesthood of all believers, and what I feel like you are you know, the the thing that you're pointing to again is this is a calling for everyone. The gospel is everyone's job. Yeah. The, the problem is that in the Reformation, the the sort of establishment or reestablishment of the priesthood of all believers, they only they only took it halfway. <laughs> they only reformed our theology on it. And so basically Not our practice. Yeah. Well, our they reformed our how we have access to God. We don't need to go through a priest. We can actually, we can actually, um, you know, have a, a direct relationship with God. What never got reformed was who, who, what, what these priests are supposed to do, and uh, they kind of left us with, okay, we can pray, but um, we don't have a, we don't have a priesthood assignment that we see in the New Testament. That never really got built out, and so we we kept the forms of you know the pastor um doing the ministry and the people being the ministry projects and um and and really lost the heart of of the movement that Jesus set up in the first place yeah i think that uh when i when i think about the reformation and what was accomplished in terms of the priesthood of all believers i do think there's a vision that's cast there's a there's a language there that we can um look back to but then you're exactly right. There, there was still um, a clear distinction between those who were going to be doing the ministry, who were going to be set apart for the doing of the ministry, um, who were going to be particularly educated for the doing of the ministry. And then everybody else was going to um, submit, sit, soak, um, pray, and then financially support. Like those became sort of the well, these are your jobs, um, right, and right. that's that's um, well. First of all, it hasn't it has not uh, utilized the gifts, talents, abilities, and calling of half of the body of Christ um, in in many places and spaces because women haven't been allowed to serve in those roles. So we're not going to get in fully to that debate today. But it feels like that conversation is a part of this particularly when we look at uh, like Acts 18, where, you know, clearly we've got Priscilla as you know, a part of that conversation. 
Um, so are there some scripture passages that you would point us to in this conversation about professionalism? Oh, I mean, in the book, I list a, a, a whole swath of them under each one of them. And my motivation for um, get to, actually why I wrote this book and how I wrote this book, it, it gets at to the heart of, of this one particular idea of professionalism because I, 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 the, you probably know her when, as you read Carmen, I, I had sort of two uh, frames in mind. I had um, Patrick Lencioni. He, he, he writes leadership fables and, and he takes a, a, you know, an, a leadership idea and writes a fable about it and then kind of breaks it out at the end. Here's, here's what you, you should learn about this. And, uh, but what I was trying to get across was larger than one leadership principle. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, and so I knew I couldn't do like a little fable. So I actually took a Patrick Lencioni idea and married it with a John Grisham idea. <laughs> and so I, John Grisham, when he writes, he writes three, usually two or three, <clears throat> excuse me, stories that all come together, uh, unexpectedly. And, uh, and so that's, that's, that's how I wrote this book. And um, because the audience that I wanted to read it was both. I wanted pastors to understand that there is actually, you know, a missiological and theological underpinning here, that this is not just, you know, a a ranting of a, you know, somebody. This is actually, there's actually a grounded scriptural uh, precedent in what everything we're talking about. But then I wanted just regular everyday people to read it and feel it and see the difference. If it became just a trade book or a theological book, it, you know, the audience has become so limited. And so this is where everyday believers can actually read it and go, I can see how I can fit into this idea. And um, and so the scripture, as you, you know, Luke 19, I, I've, I've written, you know, mm-hmm. just so much about the body, especially Paul's speaking about the body of Christ and the body of Christ we equate to what we do Sunday morning in our worship hour <laughs> and this is not the picture that Paul had when he wrote the, you know, much of what we have in the New Testament. And it certainly isn't what Jesus sent his disciples to go out and produce worship services. Um, it was the body of Christ is such a bigger, bigger idea and includes so many more people. We're, uh, we're talking with Jeff Christofferson. The book is Once You See. We've got audio copies of it to give away today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, when you think about the priesthood of all believers, when you think about yourself as a person called by God and sent by God into the Great Commission to co-labor with Christ in the mission that he is seeking to accomplish in the world through the vehicle that we call the church— What's your word association when you hear the word church? Um, And what's your word association or your picture um, uh, when you think about who is doing that ministry? Who is accomplishing that great commission? Do you see the gospel as every disciple's calling? Your calling, my calling. How are you responding to that? We're going to continue our conversation with Jeff Christofferson in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. TikTok. Yeah, TikTok is an app, but TikTok is also the reality of the year winding down to the end. So we're making lists. We're checking them twice. Things done, things left undone, gifts given, gifts we still need to buy. Would you help us with a gift before the end of the year? Time is ticking away, and this ministry is not possible without you. 
So I'm wondering if before the end of the year, you would make your best tax-deductible gift to support Faith Radio. Your gift right now keeps the good news in front of more people everywhere, all the time, anywhere, accessible through the Faith Radio app and at MyFaithRadio.com. So thank you for giving by clicking the link in the show notes or by giving today at MyFaithRadio.com. Tick-tock! We're continuing our conversation with Jeff Christofferson. The book is Once You See. Um, it deals with temptations that we face in the Western church that are not faced in uh, the church in the rest of the world. I think sometimes we imagine that our experience of church is the experience of church by everyone everywhere in all of time, but it's not. Um, and it, it, this is an opportunity for us to explore and reclaim and then live into the calling of um, of the church that Christ has called us to be as his body um, with different parts and different gifts, but everybody united in one calling to advance the gospel always and in all ways in this generation. And so how do we do that? Well, first we have to start seeing ourselves the right way, um, and that's part of, uh, of, of what happens uh, as you get into this conversation. So today we're talking about professionalism. It's temptation number two. Um, do you think about ministry as something that some group of gifted pastoral people do um, or as something that is everyone's calling, every disciple's calling? So, Jeff, when uh, when you think about the way that the talents are described in the parable of the talents and the responsibility for those, or when you think about hmm. the parts of uh, the body and the gifts that are given and the way that the Apostle Paul describes that as, uh, you know, as this very diverse and yet very unified um, experience. That's not the way uh, most of us experience uh, church today in in the West. Um, and so people feel disconnected. And if you feel disconnected, even though you know you have a talent or you know you have a gift and you know you have a calling, um, if the way things are organized does not provide an entry point for you to share that, then you are a very unhappy member of the body. Yeah, you have nothing left to do but, but you know, criticize perhaps or <laughs> compare one to another. And, um, yeah, there's not really a, a spot for us. And, um, you know, one of the things, you know, my, my ideas, I think, were on this were informed in two ways. One, obviously, through Scripture. I think this is not a hard one to prove in Scripture. I mean, our, our idea our idea of church being a, you know, what time is church or where's your church? Or, you know, we're always speaking about Sunday morning <laughs> and, uh, and the thing that, uh, that we do, but the, um, I, I got to experience something in Iraq during, during the second Gulf war. I'm in a church in Baghdad. Um, it's in the midst of, you know, you know, you can imagine the oppression and persecution and yet it is winning its neighbors and um and this church was busting at the seams it had three floors um the the main floor was where they they held services the top floor was a bunch of windowless catacombs almost where um converted people from islam to to jesus were um were actually living and staying and then the bottom floor was a training center where they were training their church church leaders for um for multiplication and uh, and this was just like 
moving. It was an un- incredible thing to see, and and that was kind of one of the first images I had of 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 something like this in the global church. And then, just before COVID, I went to Thessaloniki, Greece, to speak to church planting movements from eighty five different countries. Um, most of those countries were in areas where there were extreme persecution, and uh, and the same phenomena was going on. Um, they were they were seeing the gospel advance in their country at an incredible pace, and uh, and and the thing that their their people were concentrating on were were two, um, prayer, <laughs> and um, and equipping disciple making, um, and those two those two dyads were were the things that were moving the church the church forward in in those eighty five different countries, and so. Um, we see we see witness to this around the world, and then we it doesn't take a, a road scholar to look in, in the New Testament and see what was what was Jesus setting up here when he sent his disciples, and then as Paul picked it up and we see in the in the epistles what was happening, and uh, we don't see anything that looks even remotely to our passive sedentary you look you listen we we teach and uh, repeat next week rinse and repeat uh we see we see a setup for a movement and i believe the movement of, of of what christ has for us is not optional it's a mandate it's 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 implicit in the great commission and um and it's something that has been assigned to every church and so i i, I was spoke at a chapel at a seminary a while back and and the it was the i i i explained how expensive it was to educate each one of these students and where the money came from from all different sources. And I said, and if you think that you're going to graduate from this institution and go and do ministry as a lifestyle, um, you've, you've, this has been an incredible waste of kingdom dollars to educate you because your job is not to do ministry. Your job is to equip believers to do ministry. It's always about multiplication. And their response and reaction, some of them uh, was probably surprised because they really are, uh, you know, are being trained in many cases to be maybe counselors, maybe chaplains to um, a group of people who are already identified in a location um, as, you know, sheep who need a shepherd. And that's actually not what you're talking about and not what the vision is for um the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Um, you That's use right. the word insurgency. And I think that um, that word has a lot of, um, that word has a lot of heft. And so when you use that term, what do you mean by it? What, what does it mean for Jesus to have initiated a disciple making insurgency? And, um, and why, why is that kind of language important um, for us to understand? It's yeah. a great question. So when you when you see you know when let's use Iraq again as an example of of um, there was an insurgency there that was battling uh, their opponent and they were um, they were living in they looked like they they weren't dressed up as soldiers they were dressed they weren't dressed up you know they were they were just sort of in there and that's kind of I think how how the the Church of Jesus Christ is be we're not. The, 
it's not like we wear professional collars and we <laughs> we have our own special uniform but but we are actually deployed um i think we see a little bit of this in um what happened in covid in the fact that we weren't an insurgency uh we talk about the church gathered and the church scattered and we understand the church gathered but when the church was um scattered we had we 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 didn't know what to do and we were wringing our hands and we go we can't be the church anymore and um because because we didn't have we didn't have a trained insurgency out there we didn't have any way that we can see in Romans 16 where Paul says um greet so and so and greet so and so and greet so so these people were scattered everywhere and um and they were picking up where they left off and continuing the mission of Christ and uh and so i think that that picture of an insurgency if i'm a, if i'm part of the body of Christ i am effective wherever i am not just when i gather on a in a church pew to worship the risen savior but the rest of the week where i'm i'm deployed and uh and so i think that's a great picture jeff if people um are interested in connecting with uh maybe a a group of people who understands this and might be living like this in a particular place um, are those connections being made by somebody out there? I don't know if, there, if there's a, you know, a, a universal way that I could point to. Um, I see, you know, just being really transparent, I see a growing frustration amongst a lot of younger leaders, younger mm-hmm. pastors, and and they're moving towards like, okay, we got to think differently here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it's not it's not universally, but if if you're looking in your city and you find uh, some some people that are um, trying to plant new churches because they're having a hard time with the old wine skin, it does not not seem to want to move. Um, mm-hmm. Not every church plant, in fact, I'd say it'd be a minority, but there there is a growing. <laughs> Uh, restlessness, even amongst those who are planning churches, to think about this entirely differently, and um, and and I would I would say look and don't just go to the people that say the the buzzwords because the ideas that I'm talking about are growing in kind of popularity. People go yeah yeah, yeah. but it's actually there's an incredible price to pay to live like this, yeah. and um, because you are countercultural, um, the evangelical subculture. To, to live yeah. like no, this it's and a, lead like this. It's, yeah. uh, it's, definitely, uh, it's definitely a different way of being the church. We're in the midst of a series of conversations that we had this year with Jeff Christofferson, and we're going to um, take up presentationalism next. And so this is really the conversation about how we function as the body of Christ in community with each other, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. Thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. Jeff Christofferson is back. Um, we have been talking with Jeff over the course of a number of months about his novel approach to the conversation related to the Western Church. It is Once You See Seven Temptations of the Western Church. It is a novel. I highly recommend it. Um, we started these conversations back in in May, and Jeff has been gracious to continue the conversation with us. So good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Well, I, I am well. I am well. Are How you? are you? Good, good. I'm so is, glad to be it, with you. You're in Canada. Is it on fire where you are? <laughs> no, I think 
think that's settling down. We get lots of rain. Oh, good. So I'm so glad. Yeah. yeah, praise the Lord. Amen. So we arrived today at temptation number three, but remind us uh, quickly where we've been. Um, because when we talk about the temptations that we face in the Western church, you know, I want us to I want us to be mindful of the whole list, even as we focus in today on presentationalism. Okay, yeah. So again, just these are these are things that I, I've just observed are hamstringing the church in North America primarily. And so we start off with radicalism, and that's just a temptation of a hypothetical faith. Uh, just kind of like, uh, uh, there we, we went to professionalism, and uh, and that's the temptation of of excellence and uh which becomes unreproducible for the body of Christ. And today we're at presentation presentationalism and that is the temptation of a crowd. Um basically I mean Jesus I, was was forced or he, he had seen um crowds follow him and the crowds were looking for something and Jesus didn't succumb to that temptation but I think sometimes um we do. <laughs> Yeah, and when we talk about presentationalism, some of what we're saying is that we are we are focused on Sunday morning specifically, and we're focused on a particular hour. And let me be clear, as you're listening right now, neither Jeff nor I am saying that Bible, being Bible-believing is not important. Yes, being Bible-believing is important, um, but Bible-believing is not enough. We have to be Bible-living. And yes, it's wonderful to have a gifted pastoral team, but paying other people to go and do what we've all been called and commissioned in Christ to do um, is important as well. And when we talk about presentationalism, we talk about having worship services that are inspiring or preaching that is strong. None of that is bad. In fact, all of that is good. Um, But that which is good is not necessarily sufficient, like, right? So there is a calling um, for every Christian to be equipped and mobilized, not that we would just go to a place where other people are presenting, quote-unquote, worship, but that we would be actively engaged as worshipers of God um, 24-7, not one yeah. hour a week in a specific location. Does that is that at least a, a catch-up summary of where we've been yeah, and where we're I headed I couldn't today? have said it better myself. That's perfect, Carmen. I think— um, I think in, in, in the the first one we talked about um, philosophicalism speaks of belief being, um, you know, like Bible. Um, we're Bible believing church. Speaks of belief as a as a now we have or something that. But when we see in scripture that it is it is a verb. It is we don't really ever own it. We can only live it, and um, and so we we can only do belief we cannot own a belief and uh and i think that kind of really speaks into what you just said that um that that we're not really a bible believing church we're not really really um that when when we're just sort of taking it in and we're not actually it's not inculcating in our spirit and we're we're actually uh flowing out through us and so it much in the same way like I think about this in this way. Um, you you fly and you go like I, I fly into Atlanta, and um, and you know there's probably twenty Starbucks in Atlanta Airport. Probably um, <laughs> there's six hundred and eighteen toilets. There's there's you know there's just many many things that Atlanta Airport could be very very proud of, but nobody really cares about that because the purpose of an airport 
isn't to display its things. It is to take a passenger from where they are to where they want to be. And, um, and, and I think sometimes we get confused in the church. We kind of, we kind of think of ourselves as an airport that we're, we're gathering people and we, we have all the, the accoutrements. We have everything that, that is just like really, really special and we're proud of them. And, and, um, but it's actually, it's, it's actually not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is the purpose of, of God's people is to gather them and equip them and deploy them. And um, and I'm not sure we've been doing a good job at that with our presentationalism model. Um, we have a, a listener on our text line, um, Jeff, who says, Yesterday I was reading Once You See, pages 308 to 310, and emotions welled up and tears began to flow. And I don't exactly know why, but I'm leaning in. So um, hmm. as, I, as I flip there, um, that's the description of... Um, you know what what it looks like to have those um all of those different like rooted and then cornerstone and fishtown graphics have have those um different spaces and places that are functioning mm. you know positively in an entrepreneurial way but they are also giving opportunity to people who might not otherwise have them and at, at, anyway it's the it's all about the 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 freedom center model and we'll obviously get to that later in our mm. conversations but i just wanted to acknowledge that and um, and say to uh, to Jane and Ashley, whoever that is that's texting in right now, hey, we're um, we're praying for you. We're praying for you because God's doing something, and we love yeah. that and we love to hear that. So, um, thank you again. We're talking with Jeff Christofferson. The book is Once You See, um, and yeah, absolutely my uh, my favorite novel of the year. And so, want to encourage you to um, to check it out as well. When we talk um, about this particular topic of presentationalism. This one is actually really, I think, easy for people to um, understand because we all recognize that Sunday morning is insufficient to the living of the faith every day. And even just this past Sunday morning, and I, I'm, I'm a part of a wonderful, wonderful worshiping community of people um, and, and a, a deployed um community of saints, for sure. But I also recognize that for some people, um, what's happening at uh, on Sunday morning is then pretty radically disconnected from what they're experiencing day to day. And not everybody is intimately connected and not everybody is feeling equipped and not everybody is feeling actively uh, discipled. And, and I recognize that. And so even as we celebrate really wonderful, healthy churches, we recognize that um, there is this need for a pivot, a shift, a reorientation, a revolution. Um, help us make the shift. Like, what does it practically mean to move from a presentational model to a maybe mobilized model? That's a, you know, that's, 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 you're getting at the heart of it, I think. Um, uh, even, even what we describe as what is a healthy church uh, often relates to the, the little statements that I put beside each one of them. There are things that we, we, um, little statements that we make all the time that we're kind of bragging on it and, and we, we correlate them to health. And, mm. uh, and in many cases, they're, they're the opposite of this, uh, the opposite of health. We, there's um 
when we have a an idea of what church is, we we sort of put it into two categories: the church gathered and the church scattered. And um, and we understand the church gathered pretty well. Um, the church scattered. I don't know if that's the best term, but we use it often. And uh, and when COVID came, we realized that we had no idea about the church scattered. Um, when when the when the, when there was persecution, as we might say it, or when there's a bug or there's something, the church didn't know what to do. People didn't know what to do because when the gathered form was gone, there was nothing for no, there was nothing left for most. And um, unless we could get the online thing going, we'd keep gathering in some way. We had no we had no other option. And uh, and and the, a better picture, I think, is the church gathered and the church deployed. And when the church gathered is actually functioning, it is actually equipping the church for its deploying. And uh, whether it's deployed just, you know, Monday through Friday or Saturday, or whether it's deployed in a season of persecution, um, it, it really, the, the, it, the, the people of God know what to do because those muscles have been well worked out and um, and they're ready to go. And and the presentational model that we have, you, we come. What time's church? Uh, Ten. Uh, where's your church? Uh, it's over there. Uh, you know, we have all this. Who, who's the pastor of your church? And you know, is, is it a good is it a good church? And we measure it by all the all the things about worship and preaching. When a better model for worship isn't necessarily how we sing or the music that's done or even it, it it's Romans 12 1 and 2 it's is is the are the people of God on the altar as living sacrifices which is our only reasonable uh act of worship when we look up and see the sacrifice that Christ has made for us we see in Romans chapter 12 1 and 2 and so so um presentationalism doesn't equip the body and uh, and so i think that that just me- speaks to we need a, a a bigger idea of of what the church is so what's your idea of church as you're listening right now um do you recognize that wow covid did really reveal that we didn't know who we were or what to do once the gathered version of the church was gone um has that been your experience what um, how are you answering that question of the church being the church as living sacrifices, responding to the sacrifice of God in Christ for us? Do you feel like you're a part of a functional body of Christ in community? Um, all of those are really good questions and the kinds of questions and conversations we're seeking to provoke here this morning. Jeff Christofferson and I are going to continue this conversation. The book is Once You See the Temptation that we're dealing with this morning is the Temptation of Presentationalism. We'll continue this conversation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 2023 is almost in the books. We're about to turn the page to 2024. And as we do so, what kind of plans are you making to be in the Bible every day? Every day I ask, where in the Word are you today? Which implies that I wholeheartedly believe that you and I need to be in the Word of God every day. If you don't make a plan to do it, you're not going to do it. So I want to invite you into our Bible in a year reading plan available right now at MyFaithRadio.com. You always say you want to do it. This year, let's commit together to spending time every single day in the Word of God so that every day you'll have an answer to the question, where in the Word are you today? The Word of God will be getting into you before you get out there into the world that God so loves. So get your Bible in a year plan now at MyFaithRadio.com. 
Some 40 million people have, quote unquote, left the church just in the United States of America, just in the last 25 years. 40 million people who were once church-going people, at least once a month in attendance, um, now describe themselves as going less than once a year. And less than once a year, just for the record, is never. Um, so it's called The Great Dechurching. There's actually a book chronicling it coming out next month. I look forward to talking with uh, the pastors from Orlando who have co-authored it. Um, but today we're talking with Jeff Christofferson about Once You See. And part of why I I bring up reference um, to that conversation, Jeff, is I think that it's undeniable, like, right? People look around and they're like, huh, okay, it was one thing to say that the um, the secular left was leaving the church in the 90s and the early 2000s, but now the secular right has left the church in part because they got out of the rhythm of, quote, going to church during COVID, and they don't really see any reason to start going again. Like, there's not a motivation to, quote, unquote, go back to church because it wasn't it was something they did. It was a calendar item. It was not part and parcel of being equipped for their life of sacrificial living for Christ. Yeah, you're right. And um, and they were not essential to that church functioning, and, and nor was that church seeing them in that way. And so their their absence, you know, is a spot on the pew and and, and a tithe, but. Um, but like the body of Christ, it is, if it is the body of Christ, it, it 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 requires the body, and one person cannot grow spiritually cold without lowering the temperature of that whole body. One person cannot actually vacate without affecting. And uh, and when we can leave, and really, only thing is that our crowd size is smaller and our our giving is less. There's definitely probably a, a, something wrong with with the the major idea that we're trying to accomplish. So this theology of the body, um, this seems like something about which we are desperately confused at many levels. I mean, we're we're actually like culturally confused about the physical human body. Um, but we are confused about and and there's confusion, I think, if you wanted to just get into a deeply theological debate about the physical body of Christ and uh, and the act of communion, like that is an interesting body theology issue and conversation. Um, this body theology issue is that somehow we imagine that every part is not essential. And right. if you've tried to live, I have had a splinter in my right thumb now for <clears throat> a long enough period of time that I might have to get some help getting it out. But you know what it really irritates me when I'm peeling boiled eggs? Like that's when it becomes really apparent to me because that part of my thumb I need to take that shell off that egg. That's a weird, it's a weird thing that's happening. But I was like, that is when I become acutely aware of the side of my of my right thumb. And I don't know in the in the body theology of the church, if we we wait until something's wrong to acknowledge that that part of the body is essential and we need to be sure that it's heal it, it's it's functioning and it's healthy and it's growing and right it, it, we wait until yeah. something's wrong and and so what you're trying to do is get us on the positive side of that let's not wait till something's wrong let's let's acknowledge that every part of the body matters so how do we 
mobilize every part of the body. You're right. The, the issue COVID revealed is, is symptomatic of the bigger issue. And um, the uh, is, for, for the biggest part of the church growth era, uh, we thought our job was, you know, catch a fish, put it in a live well, and um, and get another one, put it in a live well, put an, get another one, put it in a live well. And um, and then we, we do all kinds of things <laughs> to stir that and make it look like there's life there. You know, we are preaching our, our music. We try to create some stirring thing, but it's not really um, it, it's not really anything that the, the fish really want to be involved in. And, uh, and and it's not necessarily just the secular left or the secular right that's leaving the church. It's actually um, people who are born again. People mm-hmm. who have a vibrant faith, or fi- vibrant faith at, with Christ, and they're going, but I have no spot, I have no place, and um, and, and there's a, a great sense. I think COVID revealed a great sense of discouragement and disillusionment amongst Christ followers, amongst believers, with this presentationalism model that uh, there's 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 nothing for me to give myself to other than the machinery of the of the church mm. and uh and the mission of Christ is so much bigger and so much broader and uh and it has has places and it has op- opportunities that light the fire of every single person and um and so those pages that you reference in the book of of just describing what some of that could look like um it's like you mean that could be serving christ that could be being a part of a church to to be involved in these kinds of things that don't seem like church at all and uh and you know if jesus was here physically and serving a church um i don't think look doing right now and um I think it would look a lot more like what we see around the world, where in many cases gathering is hard, difficult, and illegal, and 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 they're they're winning their nations just just through the together. Uh, and I don't know. It's just uh, we have this very small picture, very clean, you know, encapsulate much of Christ. Mm. So good. So good. Um, for those of you that are wondering, you know, what, what does it look like? What, um, what is described on these pages, 308 to 310? The, the Freedom Center, um, you know, this is this description in, um, in Once You See about a, um, a multi-story facility, one, one floor of which is dedicated to these um, companies, these for-profit companies that um, are are designed to make money and then that money is uh, a percentage of their profits go back to fund the freedom center itself and i think it's important to note like they're not quote unquote christian companies um they're not even necessarily all run and operated by christian individuals um the idea here is that you allow um people to work and you give them a place to work and if they're hanging out with you every single day and they're overhearing and, and seeing and touching and rubbing up against people who are Christians, um, then maybe they will turn aside to see why the bush is burning and not being consumed, right? Like maybe they will ask the question, what is different about you? Like, why are you different in these ways? Um, and they will be then attracted to Jesus, whom we live to represent. 
Ask yourself here uh, just quickly, are you attracted to Jesus? And then are others attracted to Jesus through you? Like we are the representatives of Christ in this generation. And so we want to make Jesus known. And we want to make Jesus known in the same way that Jesus made the Father known, which is relationally. It's the way of Christ. We enter into the reality of others. We walk with them. We talk with them. We love them. We pray for them. We serve them. We tell them the good news. We show them the great joy for all people. Rejoice today with a joy inexpressible and a joy irrepressible. Make Jesus attractive to others by simply being attracted to Jesus yourself. Draw unto him that he might draw others unto himself. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.